Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, it's always good to be in our, in, uh, our Vernon location. I love, uh, I love what God's doing here. I love seeing people here on a long weekend. And uh, if you're new, we're just really glad you're here and uh, that you chose to come to church on a Sunday on a long weekend. And, uh, you know, I think there's a special place in heaven for people who are on church on long weekends. I, it's, I'm not going to say it's theologically correct. It's just a, a thought. Just a thought. Speaking of theologically correct, we're in a series right now talking about the fact that angels don't have wings. Actually, what we're talking about is we're talking about uh, all sorts of things that we kind of just picked up in our culture. And we've ended up concluding and saying, oh, that's just, that's Bible. And there's some things that we believe that actually aren't in the Bible, which, uh, you know, it's kind of amazing. I, I know that Alex doesn't believe anything that's not in the Bible, but there's some of us that do uh, have uh, uh, believed some things that aren't in the Bible. So I, I really, I'm going to come today and I just, I'm trying to correct some of our thinking. Um, the reason we need to correct our thinking sometimes is, is actually the church is the most beneficial to our world when we don't think exactly the same as them. Not us and them, but when we don't think exactly the same as the world we live in, we're actually more beneficial than when we all think the same. Right? Because we have a unique message that Jesus came. That's a unique message. That's, uh, it's unusual in the world around us, and that Jesus wants to save us. It's an unusual message, and so we want to maintain the uniqueness. This is some things that kind of crop in, uh, um, become part of our thinking that are not in the Bible. So I want to, I, I want to address, actually, I'm a, we're going to walk through two things this morning. So just kind of follow with me. We're going to try to unpack this. Uh, the first, first thing I want to talk about today, and, and I'm going to be up front. This is going to be a complete confession service as well, is I have said this more times than I can count. I have probably believed this in a lot of ways up until fairly recently. So if you believed it, it's probably because I said it. Uh, it could very well be. But I've said in the past, I've said sometimes, I said, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because all sin is the same. All sins are equal. There's no difference in sin. So whether you're in church and you're a whatever, or you're a also whatever, uh, you are all exactly the same. Sin is the same. It's part of, it's part of what I thought because, you know, we, we have a value in our church. We call it the honest journey. And when we say the honest journey, and Alex did a great job talking about this morning, say the honest journey is we all know that we have sinned. Like, anybody had a perfect week? You, you were perfect this week? And I don't just mean your wife said you were perfect. I mean you really were perfect. Uh, you know, you were No, none of us, right? Because we're, we're all that way. And when I grew up in church, one of the things that happened is when I got to church, I had to pretend like I was perfect. I don't know if anybody of you ever counted that. I had to come to church and pretend like it was perfect. And I went, you know what? I don't want to pastor a church where I get to pretend I'm perfect because I don't do a very good job of it, and then it just makes the contrast Monday so much worse. And so we, as we walk through that, sometimes I've said, I said, well, you know, all sins are evil because we're just, all sins is the same because we're all just walking through this kind of thing. But if you go with me this morning to the book of John, book of John chapter 19, one 
verse where Jesus says something that seems to contradict what I've believed for so long. He says in John chapter 19, and maybe we should just back up and just give a little bit of background on this. This is when Jesus is uh, just about to be crucified. He's talking to um, Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor who has the legal authority to put Jesus to death. And Jesus is having a conversation. Well, actually, he's not having a conversation. Pilate is asking him some questions, and Jesus is responding. And so the question just in front of this, Pilate asked Jesus, or, or sorry, yeah, Pilate asked Jesus, is where are you from? And Jesus says, well, uh, you know, he d doesn't really answer it. And then, and then Pilate responds and said, don't you know that I have the power, I have the power over your life? And Jesus said, well, you wouldn't, and here's where he comes in, in verse 11. Uh, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, everybody say therefore. That's a good Bible word. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So if there's a greater sin, there must also be a lesser sin. Which somehow must mean that not all sins are exactly the same. That somehow in this process that God didn't, doesn't necessarily view all sin as exactly the same. I mean, it's a new, new, new thought for you, yeah. right? Because I always thought, all sin's the same. God just treats all the same. But here Jesus, you know, I'm really glad it wasn't Paul that said it. Because, you know, I could have maybe put it into Paul's cultural bias. But when Jesus said it, it's kind of it's like, you know, it must actually be true because Jesus said it. Come on, I'm joking with you. Jesus said, it's in the Bible. Okay? Jesus said, but that seems to add a little weight. When Jesus says, somebody has a greater sin. So what is he talking about here? Because if there's a greater sin, I think it might be important that we figure out what it is. Because personally, I want to just stick to the little sins. Come on, it's a long weekend. Stay with me here, okay? All right. I want to say, no, we, we, I, I want to know what this greater sin is. And Jesus would say there's a greater sin. So here's, so Jesus is saying, he says, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Well, who handed Jesus over to Pilate? Can somebody answer it? No. No. The high priest. The high priest. Not the Pharisees, not Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. Yes, that's true. And G but who handed Jesus to Pilate was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. Now, the high priest in Jesus' day, uh, to understand, and, and actually when he said Pharisees, actually Caiaphas was a Sadducee. It was a different political... It was a bit of a political uh, position, but it was also a religious position. And as the high priest, that's kind of like saying he was the pope in the context. So he was the one who certainly knew the prophecies of the Messiah. He definitely should have been able to recognize, if, if you remember when Jesus was first born, and, and uh, maybe just back the story up, when Jesus was first born, and the wise men came, they stopped off to see a guy by the name of Herod. 
Herod the king. And Herod made some inquiries and said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And everybody said, Bethlehem, because they knew how to interpret the scripture. And so Caiaphas was actually the highest ranking, most learned, most authoritative religious ruler of the day, but he's the one who handed Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. So why would Jesus say that the person who did that has the greatest sin? How many of you have ever watched a Spider-Man movie? Any of the Spider-Man? You know, I, I, I love the one, the one line. I, I, I'm not a big Spider-Man fan, I, honest confession, but I, I love this line when he says, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. Why did Caiaphas commit the greater sin? Caiaphas cre- uh, committed the greater sin because he had the most given to him. He was the most knowledgeable. He was the one who should have known better. If anyone should have recognized Jesus, Caiaphas had the background to recognize Jesus, and yet he didn't, and out of everything else, out of his jealousy, out of his envy, out of all of those kinds of things, he turned Jesus over to him. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, he says, so by this it appears that not all sins are equal. Jesus was talking to Pilate. Now, let's understand something. Jesus was not saying that Pilate was completely guilt-free. He was saying that Pilate, even though he was a uh, leader, even though he was a government official, he was also not a Jewish teacher. And so he didn't have the same knowledge on the subject. He didn't have the same accountability on the subject. Beginning to see something? There's some connection here between what you know and what you're accountable for. The more you know, the more you learn, the more you grow, the more accountable you become for how you behave and how you act. Not all sins are equal. The more you know, the more you're aware of, the more responsible you become. We can't hide behind, well, that's just sin. No, actually, that sin has a bigger bearing on me the more I know. The, the, the passage that Jesus says, and this, this expression that Jesus says, he says, Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. It's actually a Jewish idiom. It's, it's kind of a, a, a phrase, a kind of phrase that they would have used. And Jesus, Jesus used it one other time in the book of John, in John chapter 9, verse 41. And in John chapter 9, verse 41, just again, to help you a little bit, he's talking to the Pharisees in this case, but he says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. You're starting to see the kind of how these fit together? Jesus is saying, because you know and you say you know, you're going to be held accountable for that. You're going to be held exactly accountable for what you say you know. 
It's interesting, Paul, or sorry, James, Jesus' brother, picks up the same theme in James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. There's a continuous theme going on here because the bottom line, what you are entrusted with, you will be accountable for. What you are entrusted with, you will be accountable for. So let me uh, back that up. Let's, let's make this as practical and personal as we can. When we're reading the Bible and say, God, show me something, when he shows you something, it's not a Christmas light display that we look and walk away from. It's something he has now handed to you and made you responsible for. When we read in the Bible, we're reading in our devotions, all of a sudden this stands out to us. This is is important. I need to act on this. Well, now, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God has given you something which you are now responsible for. And when you don't walk in that, that's greater. The sin is greater because now you know than when you didn't know. Are you with me? Is that making sense? Right? So we walk through that. So... Here, here's the question that I kind of have when, G, when uh, James talks about teachers, not many of you should become teachers. What about advice givers? <laughs> what about advice givers? You know, I, 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 was, I was actually standing in the front row and I was, uh, when we were worshiping earlier, and it was just this, this kind of this moment, as we, especially we went back to that, that song, We Exalt Thee, because that song's been around for a long time. That's been, long, uh, that's been around longer than a lot of you in this room have been alive. In fact, most of you in this room. And, uh, and, and, and it brought me back to me growing up in church. And I, I grew up in church, and I, I grew up in, you know, and I remember sitting with my mom and dad. We always sat that seat right where Eli is right now. Second row from the front, left-hand side. Every Sunday you could count on it. That was the Olsen's row. And, uh, and when communion came, I, I chuckled because uh, we never had the conversation, but at the end of communion, we had this, in fact, the glasses are the same, everything's the same. My dad would drink his communion, and then there would be a little drop left, and he'd hand it to me. That was my whole experience. I got to taste the communion, because at that time, it was Welch's grape juice, and we simply did not buy Welch's grape juice, because that was the expensive stuff. So I got a taste of it. But I, as I was standing, I was thinking about being in a church, and I thought, you know, as I'm getting up to speak this morning, I thought, you know, I, I feel like the, in some ways, I, I feel like the most unlikely person to be standing here today. Because I grew up as a very, very shy kid. In fact, I am still shy. You don't see it because I've worked on not being shy. A shy speaker is really not a, a you know, benefit to anybody. And... Uh, but I, I, I was very shy. If, if you had seen me when I was in, in my early teens, if I had to get up in front of the class, I would have turned beet red from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I, I would be lucky to get through a couple of words before I just couldn't handle it anymore. In fact, when I went to Bible college, knowing that God had called me to pastor ministry, I enrolled on the only, in the only program that the Bible college had that did not involve public speaking. <laughs> a four-year degree in Christian education. I don't know if you remember that, Lance. 
And uh, because I was not going to, I was going to follow God, but I was not going to speak. And, and I think that's a bit of a healthy fear, you know, because if I'm reading this right, the advice giver gets judged more harshly for what they know and the advice they're giving. And I can say I'm a teacher up here, but the reality is I'm still advising. I'm still counseling. I'm still doing the same thing we all do when we're together in a group or advising. I don't get judged more harshly. Interesting, Jesus had another comment on it in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 3 to 5, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? I have some advice for you. When all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If I can say this kindly, I find a lot of advice givers are not very self-aware. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying right here. And what the, the whole sense of, of what Jesus is trying to tell us through his conversation with Pilate and what he's telling us as, he, as James talks and, when he, and, and as he talks here to the group is that we need to pay attention to what we have because we're accountable for that and that we need to, to, to carry that with a degree of severity in our life. Let me just make two final, or one final comment on that and then I, I want to move into a second thing. But what you're entrusted with, you'll be accountable for. We are a rich nation. We are rich people. We are blessed people. What will we be accountable for, accountable for when we stand before God? Not every sin is equal. There are some greater things. Greater, given more, more, more is required of us. Just a sobering thought. Here's the second thing. Are you okay with that one? We're good? I haven't, haven't, haven't offended too many people. How about online? We're good. Where's the, where's the, oh, there it is right there. I'm used to looking up here for the camera. It's over here. Okay. Uh, here, here's the last one. We, we'll talk about this a little bit because I, I think it ties together. So here's, here's, the, other, here's the other statement you hear. Um, people are innately good. Essentially, everybody's good. Have you ever heard that? Anybody said that? You know, basically, everybody's good. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. It's, uh, you know, so, so we hear, well, you know, in fact, I was looking it up the other day, I, doing the research, I was looking up, and somebody said, you know, it's now been proven that people are innately good. Have you seen kids? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, I love kids, and, you know, and, and Pastor Kimberly said, you know, the kids love when I'm here, that's because most of them are my grandkids. You know, <laughs> it's kidding, they're not, uh, but a few of them. And, uh, the, but the, the truth is, here's the thing that's always puzzled me about that statement. People are innately good. I've never, I, I have, we have four kids, and, uh, and we never had to teach them to do wrong things. We only had to teach them to do right things because they knew how to do wrong things naturally. So if people are innately good, then we should have to teach them how to do wrong things. Like that's the logical 
sense. Is that, I mean, to me, that makes logic. You know, if, if, if by nature I'm always good, then I shouldn't have to be taught how to do good things. I should have to be taught how to do bad things. It, it's interesting to me, though, because a lot of people that would say that people are innately good also are um, also would ascribe to uh, an evolutionary theory. They would, they would agree with Charles Darwin. You know what I'm talking about when I say Charles Darwin. Most people know. So based on Charles Darwin's theory, survival is our strongest instinct. Charles Darwin taught that and, and said that it was survival of the fittest. So our strongest instinct biologically, should be to survive. At the very core of who we are, according to the evolutionary theory, is self-preservation. You with me? Yeah. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. Survival of the fittest. My preservation is at the core of who my being is, evolutionary, biologically, if we follow that thinking. Therefore, there's that good Bible word again. Therefore, the only time I do good is when it benefits me. Now that sounds more truthful. That actually sounds a lot more like what I see, is that the only time I do good, it is when it benefits me. One of the biggest Weaknesses, and this isn't a class on evolution, this isn't that, but let me just say this. One of the biggest weaknesses in the theory of evolution is we never evolve into having morality because it is fundamentally opposed to the theory of evolution. Morality only comes because there is a moral God upon which we base our morality. Despite what many people in our world would say today, the reason that the Western world is primarily a, a civilized nation is because it has a fundamental morality that came out of Judeo-Christianity. Without that, it's interesting because today people want the morality without the foundation, and inevitably that will collapse. So one of the biggest weaknesses in the theory of evolution is that morality cannot evolve. Right. It is contradictory. If I'm trying to preserve myself, I will never be good for some, to somebody else unless it benefits me. It doesn't evolve. In fact, the natural evolution of that theory produces, of the survival of the fitness theory, produces not goodness, but evil. And in our last century, we saw that demonstrated in a society, a Nazi society, that in order for the fittest to survive, the weakest were destroyed. Eugenics. We are not. And nobody would say that was good, and yet that's the natural way in which that theory works out. So what does the Bible say about it? Well, the Bible says, first off this, God created us good. 
God didn't make evil humanity. God created us good. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then in three verses later, verse 31, it says this, because this is the seventh day of, or sixth day of creation. He says, God saw all that he made, and I love us, and he said, it was very good. Okay? God created you very good. Right? That's God's plan. God wants you to be good. It started off that way. It didn't evolve into that. It started off that way. But then, what happened? Okay? God created us good, but then sin came into the world. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Okay, now that's an interesting statement. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all, everybody said that, all sinned. So we're not actually, in our current state, we're not all good. We're actually all sinning. That's why you don't have to teach a child how to do something wrong. Because we bring that into our existence. Man is not. Woman is not. Humanity is not. Innately good. We were created good. But we can never get back to that place without God. Let me sum this up. Let me just kind of bring this together for the last little bit. What's God trying to do? I, I always love when, I, when I'm thinking through this stuff, I think, what in fact is God's end game? You ever wonder what, you know, what God's trying to do in this? You're going through something in your life, and you go, God, what are you trying to do? You know, we just want to know, what's the end? God, what are you trying, why am I going through this? What's the end game? And, and I think the big question in life is this, why is humanity going through all of this? Why is God sending his son to die on a cross? Why is all this happening? And it's happening because God wants to restore us to how he created us. And the only way that we get there is through Jesus Christ. Because as Paul writes in Romans, sin entered through one man, but he goes on to say that through Jesus, we can be restored. The goal of life, and, and this, is, this might be just an interesting thought, the goal, God's goal in life and in creation is not to create a new world, but to restore what he already created. And so when we want to see what God's plan is, we go right back to say, how did God create us? Are we innately good? Absolutely not. Does God want us to be? Absolutely. That is God's plan for you, but it only happens through Jesus Christ. Do you know good people that don't know Jesus? I know people who do good things that don't know Jesus, but I don't know anybody that doesn't do any bad things. Our pathway to holiness, our pathway to being the good creation God made us to be is always through Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that help anybody today? There are different sins. They're not all the same. Everybody, unfortunately, is not innately good. 
Only through Jesus do we become what God created us to be. Let me pray with you, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Kimberly. Father, this morning, God, I pray that you would uh, just take something of, of your word today. God, I, I just pray that it would help us to understand the world around us, help us to understand your plan for us. And God, that you'd bring us to a place where we are becoming more and more in the likeness of Jesus, the only true and holy one, the only good one. God, we just thank you for him today, and we thank you, Father, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.